This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, a people's history. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, a people's history, is now streaming on Hulu. A warning, this episode includes brief mention of sex. The new Netflix movie Fair Play is about a couple that's young, in love, and hot for one another. At least until one gets a promotion over the other at the hedge fund where they both work. Things get really awkward at home and in the office. Can their relationship withstand the pull of cutthroat ambition, male ego, or is their stock doomed for a freefall? I'm Linda Holmes. And I'm Aisha Harris. And today we're talking about Fair Play on Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. Here with me and Linda today is Willen Wong. She's the co-host of NPR's daily economics podcast, The Indicator from Planet Money. Welcome back, Waylon. Thanks. Great to be here. And also with us is the co-host of Slate's ICYMI podcast and former PCHH producer, Candace Lim. It's so good to have you back, Candace. Oh my gosh. Hi, guys. Hey. Hey. So Fair Play stars Phoebe Dinover and Alden Ehrenreich. You might remember her from the first season of Bridgerton, and he was young Han Solo. Here, they play Emily and Luke, a newly engaged couple who are also colleagues at a New York City hedge fund. Now, after a senior financial analyst is unceremoniously fired, Emily's unexpectedly tapped to take his place. Luke is now her direct report. He's thrown for a loop, and the shift in power dynamics begins to take its toll on their relationship. To make things even more tense, no one at their company has any idea they're a couple because it violates HR policy. The stakes, as they say, are quite high here. The movie is written and directed by Chloe DeMont in her feature debut. It's streaming on Netflix now. So, Linda, I'm going to turn it over to you first. What did you think of this movie? I really liked it. I think there's a very interesting story here, partly because, as you mentioned in the intro, they really pare it down to a bare story about power and gender dynamics because there's not any effort given to romanticizing or even really explaining what their work substantively is. Right. Mm. And it's not clear that there's any particular affection for these jobs other than advance, advance, advance. And I think ultimately they get to a very interesting conversation about the fact that, you know, Aisha, you reviewed this movie and you talked about this. At first, he does try to act like it's okay with him that she got this promotion. He sort of knows he has to act like it's okay that she got this promotion instead of him. But it's clearly not okay. And she, the, one of the things I think is interesting is that she knows the minute it happens that it's going to be a problem, even though it <laughs> wasn't going to be a problem when they thought he was going to get the promotion. You're not jealous, are you? Stop. What? Oh, that wasn't a no. Of course it's a no. If I have to choose between you and the promotion, I you would... No, 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 no. No, I would sit and I'd think about it and then I'd probably still choose the promotion. (laughs) And I really did like the way that it played out from there as an examination of how just below the surface of this relationship that they have are all of these assumptions about, you know, 
their ambition and their drive and which of them is has more power in the relationship. Yeah. I especially like to note what you said at the top about how it doesn't get lost in the weeds of hedge fund stuff. Yeah. Um, Waylon, as you know, when we talk about dumb money, <laughs> my eyes go over whenever we're, we're in that world. And unlike something like, say, Industry, the TV show on HBO, I found this way less confusing. Mm. Maybe it's because I've already watched Industry, so it's kind of in the back of my mind. But yeah, it's very bare bones, power, this is what it is. Um, Waylon, actually, let's turn to you next. So I understand you were a little less high on this film. Like, what about it was not maybe clicking quite for you? I just found it to be really dour, Mm -hmm. which is not always a problem. But I think that when I watched the trailer, I got really excited because I thought it would be super Mm -hmm. fun. I thought it would be hot people getting into trouble. Let's see what happens. But then it was just super grim. I mean, hot people do get into trouble, so they do deliver on that part of it. But none of it felt fun to me. It's interesting, this discussion of how sketched out is this hedge fund and the nature of their work. Because I think what I'm hearing from Linda and you, Aisha, is that it's a plus, right? That you don't have to get into the weeds of like, what is this deal they're doing? What is this company they're rooting for or investing in or not investing in? But for me, I had a hard time buying into the stakes of the movie for Mm -hmm. kind of the same reason. Because both of them want this promotion. The movie tells you, it does not show you so much, it tells you that this is an amazing place to work because it's run by maybe some kind of genius visionary investor guy played by Eddie Marson. And I just wasn't convinced because you never see what makes this place a special place to work. And Emily and Luke are young, very competent. And so I kept thinking, why doesn't Luke just find a different place to work on Wall Street? These kinds of financial analyst jobs are a dime a dozen. They're plentiful. Just go back to Goldman Sachs. Go get a job at Bank of America. I'm like, it's not hard. Like, I did not understand why they were destroying themselves to work at this one company. And I was like, I feel like you're too young to be this bought into one hedge fund that, to me, felt indistinguishable from any other hedge fund you would find on Wall Street. I didn't get that sense, though, that it was supposed to be a very special place. I just I didn't either. I, I just I just assumed that, like, even if you were to go to another company, which we learn later, and this is part of the issue between them, is that, like, he technically is not liked by anyone else at this job. Like, he was given this job as a favor. At least I got the sense that he's not, like, he can actually get another job anywhere else because he's actually not that good at his job. But maybe that's just me. Yeah. <laughs> I felt like the reason why he was so territorial about it was territoriality itself rather than anything special about this job or this place. It's the idea that even though the two of them theoretically have the same job, it is so obvious to him that at some level he owns this place more than she does. It's more his place Mm -hmm. than her place. Because, and I think that's where you get into kind of what their baked in expectations are. So to me, that was just part of what I found interesting about it was there is no reason. I agree with you. There is no reason for them both to be so Mm. dug in. And yet I think you can find situations in the real world where this kind of thing does happen, where people just get incredibly dug in about, I've given this much to this place and spent this many hours. I want what I think I deserve. 
you know. Yeah, but I can understand your point, Waylon, if that's kind of where you were coming at it from. Because we, yeah, it just sounds like we had very, like, different, I guess, expectations. We, like, picked up on different things, maybe in different expectations. Because there's this scene where Luke is telling the Eddie Marson character, you came to speak to my college class, and you were Mm -hmm, so amazing, mm -hmm. and I wanted to do anything to work here. And I was like... Oh, really? I was like, what did he even say? (laughs) Because all I've ever wanted is to work for you, learn from you, and one day become you. I never believed in anything growing up. This firm has become my religion. You have become my God. And I was like... Is is Luke just susceptible to cults of personality or something? Like powerful white men? Oh, yes. I think I just felt a little bit like, is this guy just a big <laughs> mess? And I had a hard time investing in his journey as a result. I get that. Candace, it sounds like you are more on the Waylon side of things. But please, tell us more. No, I'm hashtag with Waylon because yeah. I... <laughs> oh my gosh, thank you. A hashtag! Oh. I got a whole hashtag! <laughs> so I... I didn't love this film that much, and I think I was a little disappointed by it because, you know, I, too, was very hyped by the trailer. Mm -hmm. You know, I am not a succession person, but I am an industry person. So it's in my head, I was like, ah, those are the vibes, right? And I think watching the film itself, I think the tone, the color, and the workplace itself are actually very similar. You know, industry, it's an HBO show about, like, young associates at a bank. They do drugs, they hook up, insider trade, all that stuff is kind of here, too. Except for the drugs, which maybe that's what it's missing. Anyway, <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Once I realized that this film is not about the finance part, I was like, okay, so it's more about the power dynamics. It's about what happens in a relationship with two people who just like happen to work in finance. But I'm someone who likes weeds. I mm-hmm. am someone who I was like waiting for those trading floor scenes and the shorting and the stocks like mm-hmm. heat up. And it never really reached that caliber for me. I get this totally. Yeah. yeah. I will say in terms of performance, Right. Phoebe. Definitely a draw for me. I was like within five minutes. I'm like, oh, she went to the Bridgerton School of Coordinated Intimacy. okay? because within five minutes we're at someone else's wedding and you're wearing white. okay? more of a champagne. Yeah. Second, you're having period sex. And third, you're getting engaged at someone else's wedding. Interesting. Exactly. Shonda would be so proud. And I will say that even though Phoebe, I think I like seeing her in this register in general. I don't think this film is actually for, like, the youngest cohort of, let's say, recent grads in the workplace. I, I feel like this film isn't as revelatory as maybe it aimed to be because mm-hmm. this film kind of tackles something along the lines of, like, a post-MeToo yeah. workplace, right? Emily, for most of the film, is, like, the only female we mm-hmm. see on screen mm-hmm. at this workplace. And so th- it's this idea of, like, a fish in a toxic water. Mm-hmm. The things that my friends and I are talking about mm. are like the post fall of the girl boss workplace because yeah. most of our bosses are women. And so the question does not become what is it like to be discriminated for gender, but what is it like to be discriminated for all the other things that like kind of haven't been explored yes. as well yet in this medium. But I will say, Chloe DeMont, writer, director of the film, she spoke to Entertainment Weekly and she said, this isn't really a film about female empowerment. This is a film about male fragility. And if that was her goal, then I did receive that message and she did succeed from that perspective. Yeah, Mm. I think that's right. Aisha, I know in your review, that's sort of what you saw it as being about is another kind of crisis of masculinity, masculinity kind of movie. Yeah. And I'm I'm so glad, Candice, you could provide that perspective because I absolutely see that. 
also both performers, Alden Ehrenreich and Phoebe Dinever, they're in their late 20s, early 30s. So they're a little bit older than Gen Z or like right on the cusp, right? I can understand why this would maybe not speak to those who have just graduated. But for me, I think this was... I consider this one of my favorite movies of this year. I'm just going to go out Mm -hmm. on a limb and say that. Um, I've seen it twice now, and I loved it even more the second time. Mm -hmm. I didn't have the first time around those expectations, in part because I saw it at Sundance. So it's like at Sundance, you get literally one line, and that's (laughs) one line of description. And then it's like, there's no trailer. There's there's none of that. And so I think that might have helped. I did see certain places. I don't think Netflix itself has coined this, but I've seen other places, including like the Wikipedia page at one point, called this an erotic thriller. And I think that's a kind of misdirect. Like that's not accurate. I think that's where I got into trouble. Yes. And I thought we were going to a deep water, the voyeurs kind of place. And then I was like, oh no. I was like, why isn't this (laughs) I was there too, girly. Yeah. Yeah. If I went in like you did, Aisha, and it's an artsy independent film, I think I would have had a different mindset. Some of my criticisms might have been the same, but also I wouldn't have just felt like I had the rug pulled out from underneath me. Yeah, I totally get this because I, like Aisha, first found out about this film when other people were at Sundance and read a little bit about it enough that the messaging I got about it was grim, 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 Mm -hmm. yikes, 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 (laughs) right? You get to the end of this movie and it is bleak as anything, Uh, right? right? And I think because I was prepared for that... I didn't have that reaction, but I, but definitely if they're promoting it in any way as an erotic thriller, it is not that. It's not an erotic thriller just because bad things happen and people have sex. <laughs> right. And it's also like there's no cheating. There's no like the illicit romance is just the fact that, that like no one knows that now like she's his boss and they've been together and they're like even engaged. It's like it's this weird, it's this right. weird kind of like tension there. But I think for me about like, I don't know halfway into the film, Luke was just like, he starts off, like Linda said, trying to be supportive. And and look, I think no matter what, even if the genders had been reversed, anyone who like expects they're going to get a promotion then doesn't, they're going to feel some type of way about that's completely normal. But then, Mm -hmm. you know, his sense of entitlement takes over, which spills into how he treats her and how he just freezes her out. And I, I wrote in my notes in like all caps, is this what the don't worry darling twist was, I was trying there. to say? I was there with you, Aisha. I got don't worry darling vibes. When he clicked that video. Yes, yes the video. <laughs> if you haven't seen Don't Worry Darling, I'm sorry, but there's like a whole twist <laughs> where we find out it's all a computer simulation, this like weird 50s vibe. It's a computer simulation and the men have been trying to keep their women from like going out in the workforce and like as like and my biggest problem with that movie was that like that doesn't come till the very end and we don't explore any of that in a real interesting way and so for me the premise of this movie is kind of that and was what I was looking for from Don't Worry Darling, which is we see like the slow disintegration of this relationship that seems on solid ground, but because he can't handle, um, she got the promotion over him and then he starts uh, following this random like motivational speaker and then sort of digs at her and digs at her in in bigger and bigger ways and questions whether or not their boss wants to sleep with her. Admit it, Emily. Admit that's why he gave you the promotion because he thinks you're hot because he wants to f- you now the question is did you let him okay all of these things i think felt so real to me and so 
of this moment. And I liked the fact that it doesn't have all of these bells and whistles of like fantastical uh, sci-fi premise. It's just like, this is what it might, how it might actually play out. Mm-hmm. Even the part where he has this outburst at work that is just like. <laughs> <laughs> it was pathetic. Yes. Hey. Luke, stop this. You crossed the line. No, 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 no. Don't, you, you did. You can only kick a dog so many times before it bites back. Ruff, ruff. It was over the top, but yeah. Yeah, I think what I one of the things I liked about it was that the cracks in the relationship, especially at the beginning, are more subtle than you would see in a lot of movies. He doesn't instantly sulk the minute that she gets the promotion, as we talked about before. He kind of knows that his role is to say, hey, look, it's just as fair for you to get it as for me to get it, right? And... One of the things I really like, you know, Aisha mentioned him kind of implying that the boss wants to sleep with her. This originally comes out at, as him saying, oh, did the boss mm-hmm. try anything with you? And it's this way in which mm-hmm. he's theoretically like, yeah, I'm being yeah. a boyfriend who understands the difficulties of women in the workplace and that, oh, what if my girlfriend mm-hmm. got mm-hmm. Uh, inappropriately treated? But she immediately picks up on the fact that like for him, he immediately goes to a place of like, this must have something to do with sex. And she kind of gets that that's really where his mind is. And I think there's some nuance that I did appreciate. Did he try anything? No. No, it's not. If he touched no, you? No, he didn't touch me, Luke. Okay, well then, just tell me what the f*** is going on here. He's promoting me to PM. I'm, I'm taking over for Quinn. Okay, congratulations. His first response to her promotion is just the word, okay. And he kind of says it in this, mm. like, way of, like, uh, I don't want to, like, tell you what I really feel, <laughs> but just, like, okay. Yeah. When they get engaged, the first word she says is... Okay. And I kind of feel like that twist where they both kind of gave each other that word was almost the moment that office politics fully entered their apartment. And I kind of thought that part was interesting about the film. This idea of like, in his head, he basically lives with his boss. And I, hey, that's probably awkward. And I wish that on no one, including myself. Mm -hmm. But the fault of his is that he is unable to basically switch that in his brain yes absolutely there are times when he talks to her like a girlfriend and there are times when he talks to her like a boss and he can't figure out where that line is and to be fair i think she does that too because there are times for example when she like reams him out after he makes this horrible call Mm -hmm. and she is just absolutely going at him as a boss but then they go back into the office and Mm -hmm. he's kind of like trying to use relationship tactics to fix a Mm -hmm. work mistake and it's like see this is kind of the nuance here of like you guys don't know how to speak to each other anymore and that i found really interesting and i think they did a good job of like showing that you know yeah if there is any sort of message it's like don't hook up with your colleagues (laughs) especially if they might become your boss (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah we want to know what you think about fair play are you more team Waylon, team candace or team linda and aisha (laughs) it doesn't matter we can all we can all be on whatever team we'd like find us on facebook at facebook.com slash pchh and up next we're going to be talking about what's making us happy this week this message comes from npr sponsor hulu don't miss the new docu-series Black Twitter, A People's History, from Onyx Collective and Hulu. 
Directed by Prentice Penny, executive producer of Insecure, Black Twitter, A People's History, tells the story of how Black voices found a new home online and blossomed into a force for change while laying down some hilarious tweets along the way. From the memes to the movements, see how this powerful community shapes culture, society, and politics. Black Twitter, A People's History, is now streaming on Hulu. Support for NPR and the following message come from Betterment, the automated investing and savings app. CEO Sarah Levy shares how cash can be part of a balanced savings strategy for investors. Oftentimes people think of their cash as the money they're using, but when there's a high rate environment, your cash can also be a form of savings. So savings can sit in your cash account and savings can sit in an investing account. And on average and over time, investments go up, but in a high interest rate environment, you can get a more predictable return in a high yield savings account. And so investors can choose both strategies, an investment strategy, as well as a cash strategy to both protect your principal because cash doesn't go down the way markets can, but also to earn a high yield. Learn more about high yield cash accounts at betterment.com. Investing involves risk, performance not guaranteed. Cash reserve offered through Betterment LLC and Betterment Securities. Betterment is not a bank. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Teladoc Health. There are lots of reasons for wanting to be healthy. Family, work, living a fuller life. Teladoc Health understands. Whether you have diabetes, high blood pressure, or just need to manage your weight, Teladoc Health can help. Visit teledochealth.com slash what's your why for more information. That's T-E-L-A-D-O-C health slash what's your why. And now it's time for our favorite segment of this week and every week, What's Making Us Happy. Waylon, let's start with you. What's making you happy? What's making me happy is a classical music comedy duo on YouTube called Two Set Violin. They are two Australian violinists, Brett and Eddie. And on their YouTube channel, they do little sketches and challenges. You know, they're doing like perfect pitch challenges or they're playing through really hard solo and orchestral repertoire, making fun of each other. Or they're doing sketches about what it's like to be an orchestra. I know it sounds really dorky, and it is 1,000% super dorky, but it's very funny, especially if you come from the world of classical music or you've ever played in an orchestra or, as I was called in high school, dorkestra. Uh, dorkestra kids, this goes out to you. Two Set Violin is currently on tour, and I saw their live show at Symphony Center in Chicago, which is where the Chicago Symphony plays. And they were amazing. They played really, really hard violin repertoire while hula hooping and while blindfolded. It was like a true comedy concert. And it was very wholesome. And if you can't see them live, I would recommend checking out their YouTube channel. They're called Two Set Violin. Well, Waylon, first of all, this is NPR. You don't have to worry about it being too dorky. <laughs> reclaim it. Reclaim it. <laughs> Second of all, I did swing choir in high school, so I I understand. <laughs> Candace, tell us, what is making you happy? What's making me happy is To Die For by Addison Ray featuring Charlie oh, XCX. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, here we go. Go left to the light and pull over on the right arm. So come take a bite in the middle of the night, my neck. So this 
is officially my song of the summer, not only because it is a bop.com, but because I just think it came from such an unexpected place for me. The journey of the song is that Addison Ray, yes, the TikTok dancer, yes, the lead in the She's All That uh. Netflix reboot. <laughs> in 2021, she was kind of embarking on this like pop star, movie star, Hollywood, four-quadrant career. And because of that, she was just constantly in our faces. And she was working on an album at the time, had a debut single. It was called Obsessed. It was not well-received. And so fast forward to the summer, she releases this four-song EP. It's called AR. (laughs) And guess what, guys? It absolutely slays. And I like it. Unfortunately, I'm going to say it. I'd love to see more Addison Rae. And so that's what's making me happy this week, To Die For by Addison Rae featuring Charlie XCX. The only reason I even know that that song exists is because I listened to your ICYMI episode about it. (laughs) There you go. Thank you, thank you, thank you, plug. Also, Charlie XCX forever, so (laughs) thank you for that, Candace. (laughs) Linda, what is making you happy, friend? Well, what is making me happy this week is something so closely associated with my persona that uh, when we hopped on this call, Candace Lim (laughs) congratulated me on it existing because that is how much people Mm -hmm. know this about me. (laughs) What is making me happy this week is the Hulu availability of Moonlighting, which is a detective uh, comedy drama series that aired from 1985 to 1989. This is when Bruce Willis became famous. He was basically a nobody and showed up on this show with Sybil Shepard, who was very famous. She plays a model. He plays this guy who's sort of running a ragtag detective agency that's intended to lose money for her as a tax write-off. She falls on financial hard times and is supposed to go shut the detective agency down. Instead of that, he kind of wheedles and persuades her to become partners. And so they become partners in this detective agency. Now, this this show was so influential upon me because of its kind of rat-a-tat banter. It's very famous for having written a whole episode in the style of Shakespeare. There's a whole episode that's in black and white that's in the style of kind of an old movie that had an intro by Orson Welles. So they have all these kind of one-off episodes that are really fun and weird. I don't know how well this show has aged. It has never been streaming before. I did own the DVDs of some of it, but most of it I have not seen much of in the last years. And so I'm very excited to revisit particularly the first couple of seasons when it was a show that was just really inventive and different and strange. And I encourage you, even if this doesn't sound like the kind of thing that you would like, to just check out a couple of the the early episodes. So Moonlighting, streaming on Hulu at long last. And yes, you will get a chance to see both of them perform songs. (laughs) That is what is making me happy this week. Nice. Yeah, this has always been one of those shows that I've heard so many things about. Thank you, streaming gods who are overlords, basically. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, what's making me happy actually shares, I think, a little bit of DNA with Fair Play. It's uh, The Royal Hotel, which is directed by Kitty Green. She previously directed The Assistant. But The Royal Hotel stars Julie Garner and Jessica Hennick as two young women who are vacationing in Australia. They blow all their money, and then they have to get jobs at a local bar in this remote mining town so that they can keep their holiday going. 
this bar is kind of the stuff of nightmares if you're a woman. And it's, again, like Fair Play, it's playing with this idea of being a woman in a mostly male environment. In this case, it's a bar where the men are always drunk and handsy and flirting. And slowly but surely, it gets more tense and more, even more dangerous by the day. If you're looking for something that is actually kind of more like a thriller, I wouldn't say it's more fun, but it is more kind of a thriller type movie than Fair Play is. Waylon and Candace, you might mm-hmm. actually like this more. <laughs> I don't know if the ending quite pays off, but I think overall, this was uh, really interesting to watch. It did make me uncomfortable <laughs> in many ways. And it also stars Hugo Weaving as the bar's alcoholic owner. So you've got some heavy hitters coming mm-hmm. on here. Uh, so that's the Royal Hotel, and it's in the theaters now. You should go check it out if you can. And that's what's making me happy this week. If you want links for what we recommended, plus some more recommendations, you should definitely sign up for our newsletter at npr.org slash newsletter. That brings us to the end of our show. Linda Holmes, Waylon Wong, and Candice Lim, thanks so much for being here. This was a pleasure. Thank you, Aisha. Thank you. Thank you. This episode was produced by Liz Metzger and Thomas Liu and edited by Mike Katzif. Our supervising producer is Jessica Reedy, and Hello, Come In provides our theme music. Thanks for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. I'm Aisha Harris, and we'll see you all next week. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Viore, a new perspective on performance apparel. Clothing designed with premium fabrics, built to move in, styled for life. For 20% off your first purchase, go to viore.com NPR.